All right. Welcome back, everybody. Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from balmy Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, we've got Chris Smith. And Chris is a real estate entrepreneur who got started, like many of us, in single-family homes. He and his wife owned a couple of houses with basement suites in them. And they said, to heck with that. Let's get into something bigger and better. Let's start doing multifamily properties. So they sold those properties and now they're in the process of purchasing their first kind of multifamily project. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey man, great to have you here. So lots of different ways to invest in real estate. You guys got started with single family homes. That you, did they already have the, the suites in them or did you do the whole Burr thing and and put suites in yourselves? Um, so both. I guess what happened actually the year my wife and I met, um, I had just bought a house. I was intentional. I bought a house that was new spec with a basement developed and zoned for a suite to be built. Okay. Uh, but the basement was undeveloped. Hmm. My wife, uh, shortly after we met, I don't think had a lot of faith in me. So she went and bought her own house anyway. And, and it had a women are women are so logical sometimes. Aren't they? <laughs> probably wasn't a bad choice, but so she bought a house. It had a suite uh, existing, so a non-conforming suite. But in the in the city of Saskatoon, that's quite common. Um, so by default, there we ended up being landlords in short order. Uh, once I convinced her to move in with me, uh, but in the house that I had bought, yes. So my dad and I actually, I, I took out a line of credit, uh, constructed the suite, did all the work, made it everything that I never had in a basement suite as a renter mm -hmm. and then got my tenants paying off that line of credit as I lived in the upstairs. So that was the the house hacking sort of initiation like so many people do. Yeah, very cool. So at the time that we're recording this, it's early 2023. What year was that, give or take, that you guys did all of this? That was in 2016. Okay. All right. So you, and how how long did you hold on to those those properties. Well, I guess you're maybe you're still living in one of those. Is that correct? Or you moved into something? No, else? actually. So great question. Yeah. So we, uh, we moved out to an acreage uh, outside the city in 2020, right before the birth of our first daughter. Mm. And we held the other properties until this past summer in 2022. Uh -huh. um, took advantage of probably some good market timing, got rid of the properties, uh, they were holding on on low interest fixed term debt that was allowing them to be still good for us. Um, but like you mentioned, we wanted to take that capital, the equity that we had and repurpose it into a larger asset. All right, perfect. So what were some of the, just out of curiosity, I mean, I will talk a little bit about why you want to focus more on a different asset class, but what were the pros and cons of the whole house hacking thing that you guys did initially? I think the biggest pro is just the super low barrier to entry. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we started it as um, it, it's your personal residence. You can go in at 5% down if that's what you so choose to do. Uh, you find a house. We were essentially single when each of us started that. So we could have roommates and stuff without a problem with the family to be concerned about. Hmm. So we could really, we could really take that on without too much logistical headache, I guess, yeah, if you want so to call both... it that both able to get into those properties with low down payments because you both bought them as your primary mm -hmm. residence at the time. Exactly. And then mm -hmm. really just start to snowball from there. And I think 
we both started to see that that income coming from those and really covering our costs on it almost completely uh just that that light bulb started to flicker like there's something to this game that we should be digging a little deeper into yeah 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 well, that's cool all right so now you're you're moving into the multifamily space tell us a little bit about the the deal that you got on the go because i think you're going to be closing on it in a few months is that correct that's right. We are scheduled to close on it in June. It is a new construction, so we are not the general on it. There's a builder developer in town that's spearheading that for us. Um, it's a unique thing because it's a multifamily, but it is actually single family homes. So okay. my understanding is it's pretty popular in the US known as a BTR, SFR, I've heard it called. So built to rent single family. Okay. So the neighborhood's zoned to have basically packages of houses sold off as commercial assets. Interesting. So, so how how big is the the plot of land that all of your houses are going to be on? So we're a portion of what is going to be the same projects all on one city block. Mm-hmm. So our project is six detached houses, all with basement suites, all adjacent to each other. So financially and from an appraisal standpoint, it's treated as a 12 unit uh, multifamily property. Cool. Very, very cool. But a much more appealing rental for your renters because they get the yard, they get the house feel, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you're you're still getting some of the efficiencies of scale because you're buying six of these suckers all at once and each one of them has two suites instead of just one. Very, very interesting. And I would imagine, you know, nothing's written in stone, but what would you say? What are your What are you anticipating rentals the the rent amount to be for those kind of properties versus something equivalent but not brand new in the area? Sure. So we're we're going to be a couple hundred dollars, probably higher than most uh, older stock. There's not anything in that neighborhood that's older per se. It's all fairly new. Yeah. But a similar type of home. In, in another area, it would be a couple hundred bucks less than us for sure. Uh, one of the big benefits of new is we're still covered by new home warranty. Uh, we have no wear and tear in the property yet, and mm. we've got full control of it from inception. So we're not, I guess, if if we're if we're dealing with anybody's mistakes, it's only going to be our own. We're not we're not fixing someone else's problems at this yeah. point. So. Yeah, no 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 hidden little things hiding behind the drywall that you have to worry about too much. And and how long are you covered with the the homeowner uh, warranty? Uh, depends what it's uh, covering. So some stuff is a year, some stuff is three years, some stuff is five years. Like there's a water abatement uh, warranty for the foundation for five years. Mm-hmm. So you're covered for five years from the builder on that standpoint. And then of course you'd have insurance. Um, for your basic construction, your interior finishings and stuff like that, you'd have a year. And then some of the bigger building systems, you'd have three years of warranty. Yeah. The other beautiful thing is these are purpose built. So you know that the basement suite is 100% conforming and legit and all that kind of good stuff. It's already all good to go. So that that in itself just adds more value to the the property itself. Now, in the future, are you, if you so choose, are you able to sell these properties onesie twosies or do you have to sell them as a complete unit? I, we, we definitely could, um, depending on what we're sitting in for a mortgage at that time would have some bearing on how we went about that. Uh, we may have to go into a short-term debt 
outside of our CMHC insured mortgage um, in order to sell them off individually. But there would be potential to do it if it made financial sense for sure. Yeah, which which I imagine you guys aren't even thinking about for at least five, 10, 15 years. You want to you, you want to ride the new home wave yeah. as long as possible, I would imagine. Yeah, that makes sense. For sure. Tens the number out the gate and we'll take it from there. Yeah, no, that's great, Chris. So that's a good start. You're going to get started with these 12 units. And where do you kind of see things going from there? What are you focusing on, you and your wife moving ahead? What's your big vision as far as your your real estate investing career goes? Yeah, that's... Uh... It, it's really changed. I think our outlook has changed over the course of the last year or so. And we've kind of, we've got settled in our life personally, and that allowed us to sort of focus on what we really want real estate to be yeah. for us. Um, at one point, it was probably like a lot of people, hey, maybe it can cover the mortgage. Uh, now it's let's grow a big business really is what it is. So I'd, I'd like to be thinking that in the five-year timeline, we're substantially higher unit count as long as the quality is still there. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we're really looking to do is build a, a larger asset management company where we can take on uh, deals that are larger unit count. That makes sense in a portfolio spread across the prairies probably is our, our initial focus for sure. So unit counts kind of a, a you throw a dart at the board, really. They've just got to make sense. I, yeah. I think just, just aiming for a unit count goal isn't... Uh, really going to get us anywhere. But I'd like to see the company doing over a million a year in revenue in the next couple of years as far as rental income. So take that for what it's worth. We've got yeah, some exactly. units that are going to do 2,500 a month and some that'll do 700 a month. So Exactly. So Chris, when I was reading over your information that you sent in ahead of time, it seems like you and your wife would really far rather get these kind of turnkey type of properties versus buying something that needs to be majorly uplifted. So talk to me a little bit about that, pros and cons to the turnkey idea. Yeah, there's, I guess, talk about the cons first might be the easy one because it's uh, it's not, it doesn't seem to be the preferred approach in the real estate circles that um, I'm accustomed to, I guess. That you're so, hanging out in, yeah. Yeah, we don't have the the huge initial lift. And so oftentimes our, our return of capital to an investor is going to take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, so the cons can be finding people that are okay with that or that are accepting of that and understand the outlook is a longer term uh, venture. Uh, the upside, I think, is is the stability, the, the lower risk in the initial acquisition. We're not taking on something that has as much project risk involved as say, a big value add multi where you're taking a a rundown complex and and really a heavy heavy renovation to get it back up to where it needs to be. So we're we're kind of built a business case on what's going to look like day one, and know that we've got some some runway to work with things over time and deal with the pay down, um, any appreciation that we're lucky enough to get, and some opportunities that come up along the way for sure. Yeah, it sounds like you and your wife definitely have a very secure approach to to investing in real estate does that kind of come from your experience your personality styles your profession where do you think that kind of because because it, it sounds to me like you're probably hanging around with a bunch of other more traditional real estate investors which tend to be kind of the loosey-goosey cowboy types that uh you know 
Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there's a, a good case to be made for a lot of the value add. It's made a lot of wealth for a lot of people over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for us, I guess it's just risk aversion, really. You know, we're 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 okay with stable long term growth. We've got a great lifestyle right now. Um, some of the things that have transitioned for us personally, we're not really as concerned about changing lifestyle. So we're more concerned about the long play and what it's going to do for us over the next 10, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. as opposed to what it's going to do for us in 12 months. Yeah, because you guys are looking at this definitely long term. This is the, well, hopefully sooner rather than later, replace the J-O-B income if it can. If mm-hmm. not, no big deal. But it's definitely sounds like this is the retirement plan for you guys. Absolutely. It it should be both if we do it correctly. It mm-hmm. will replace that J-O-B income and then long-term will still provide us with a more than adequate retirement. So, Yeah, cool. So Chris, the other question I got for you, now that you're kind of really focusing on a different asset class, what are you doing for lead generation when it comes to deals, deal flow? Uh, not enough. <laughs> well, that's an honest answer. I appreciate that. Well, what have it, you done to date? It, it's an ongoing thing. So it, it's been building relationships with the, the agents and brokers in our areas that I see as sort of the key players, the ones who seem to get the bulk of the listings or partner with those that do. Um, that's really the biggest piece. And, and sort of staying present in any of the areas where these listings might pop up, whatever areas and corners of the internet and Facebook and stuff like that that are there, sort of just being active and present in them to one, see if they're listed and two, have the communication with people that might come across those properties. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. And I would imagine that you're pretty busy. Are you, Do you have a full-time job in addition to your real estate investing? And it sounds yes. like you got a, a beautiful growing family. How many children do you guys have so far? We, we have two and that'll be it. That's two. Uh, but we've got a, a two and a half year old and a six month old. Yeah, definitely. You, you are, your wife is definitely very, very busy. And so are yeah. you. So that makes it a little bit more challenging with, with some of this stuff, but definitely doable. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, tons of people that have done it. So um, yeah. So with the deal finding idea, I love what you're doing there. Tapping in, creating those relationships. Quick question for you around that, Chris. What have you found to be effective to get these kind of brokers to take you seriously, seeing that you don't have a track record yet in the multifamily space? Have you had any challenges with that or what have you done to overcome those kind of situations? Yeah, it, you know, these, these guys get a lot of calls and I can see it each time I'm talking to them. There's, (laughs) there's a lot, a lot of calls and a lot, a lot of people that never go anywhere with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes to putting your money where your mouth is and putting a deposit on a property and and playing the game. Don't try and don't try and take it down to zero out the gate, you know, as far as try and get a big reduction and all of this. Go in and have a look at things and have a a discussion focused on the business and talk to them in real numbers and what you see and be transparent and be friendly. Don't be mm-hmm. don't be a jerk about it. And I think when they see that you've studied and you understand the business and that you are actually actively looking for something that makes sense and you're willing to have a discussion about what that is, an honest one, um, they see you as somebody that at least they can communicate with. And that's really the first step in getting this done. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they understand that they don't have to educate you about all of the ins and outs of doing a multifamily type project or a type deal. Yeah. 
fantastic. Now, have you have you besides the poking around on the internet and kind of getting the word out passively that way? Are you looking at doing any active marketing for off market deals? We haven't, um, and I think the biggest reason for that is not wanting to spread ourselves too thin. Mm. But as we try to grow more, and if we're going to look into uh, you know older multis and value add opportunities at whatever scale. Uh, I think that's something that's probably going to have to happen. In the prairies, there's not a lot of inventory to begin with. Yeah. So that that's a, a key piece is trying to see all of it and make sure that you're aware of what's out there, I think. Yeah, just one suggestion for you that you might think about. The, the fact that you're in the prairies is a pro and a con. The con is that you've got limited inventory. So there's not a lot to pick from. The pro is that you've got limited inventory. So it's easy to figure out who owns what and go direct to the source there. So you might consider down the road creating a database of all of the properties that you would like to, if you could wave the magic wand, if you could could, could buy those properties, you'd like to do that. Uh, go down, however it works in, in Saskatchewan, here in BC, you have to go to land titles and physically research who the owners are. But that's definitely a worthwhile thing to do if you come up with a list of 20 or 30 properties that you'd like to focus on. And then it's amazing how effective direct mail can be, especially if you get a little bit of creative there. Not that expensive. You know, you don't have to be whacking these guys every every week. But if you sent them a letter every whatever quarter, so ding every three or four months, they're hearing from Chris Smith and you know, finding out a little bit about what you're up to and you'd like to make an offer on the property, then when time and circumstances line up, they very well might call you before they list it with a realtor. Yeah, uh, great point. And we've entertained something like that and very similar to what you're describing. Even the, the actual approach uh, just hasn't been executed yet, I guess. Yeah, well, there's only so many hours in the day, that's for sure. So, <laughs> so speaking of this kind of stuff, what are you doing and what are you planning to do when it comes to capitalizing or raising capital for the deals that you're going to be doing moving ahead. Yeah. And interestingly, you know, we talk a lot about finding the deals and we we did here as well about finding the deals. Um, what we've done in the past is we've had some other opportunities under contract. Uh, we left them alone for various reasons, but what we found is that we're always coming from behind when it comes to capital raising. Mm -hmm. You're always, you know, you're, you're providing a good opportunity to someone, but you're coming in a I don't know, a mindset of urgency or you're approaching it with a, a need to do quickly situation. And that, if I put my shoe on the other foot and I'm going to write a check to somebody is an uncomfortable situation. So yeah. what we're trying to do now is be very proactive in would-be investor relations. So going out to our our network, uh, our private network, our friends or family, business associates, as the the terms would have you go, mm -hmm. and and really trying to put ourselves out there, make sure that people know what we're doing understand the approach in the business model and kind of what we look for, what our risk tolerance is, because we'll hopefully draw people that are like-minded in that way. And yeah. so far that's been more successful. Um, what we found is that when we start to focus on that first and focus on building relationships with these folks that we want to partner with, um, we've been substantially more successful in actually raising capital and getting some checks written towards deals. Oh, so people yeah. have an opportunity to use. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's 
that you're preaching to the choir here, my friend, because I, <laughs> I, 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 I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember back in the day being in that horrendous situation of having two weeks to come up with the money for the deal. And it wasn't even a big deal for crying out loud. But, you know, <laughs> if you're starting from behind that eight ball, it's a nerve wracking experience. And quite frankly, I flopped miserably and wasn't able to raise the money. And and you're right, because like you mentioned, right? When you come at it like that, that neediness kind doesn't matter how good the deal is, the neediness kind of oozes out of you, or at least it did out of me, right? And it actually <laughs> repelled people. And then I was so damn clumsy uh, and desperate at the time. I I ended up turning off a lot of really good prospective investors because I tried the whole dialing for dollars and turn every conversation into a real estate conversation, all that stuff the gurus were telling. And didn't work very well for me. So I'm hats off to you for taking a more proactive uh, look at things. And yeah, definitely when it comes to my philosophy is the money or the deal, try to get the money lined up first. And by that, I mean, if you could have, you know, what are you typically looking at? Probably half a million type thing for these kind of deals. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could have seven or eight people lined up, each committing to 100, 150 grand, even if it's just with an expression of interest or letter of intent, but you've got that in your back pocket. Well, now how much more confidence do you have going after that deal and making those offers and all that? And, and that goes back to your broker relationships and getting people to take you seriously. When you show up with the confidence that you can close, you sound different, you present different, you come across very different to them as well. That's right. Especially if you can show them <clears throat> six or seven or eight expressions of interest signed off, even though they're not legally binding, but whatever, it, it, sure. it's definitely is fantastic. So Chris, here's one of the questions I like to ask my guests these days. And, and that is going back to Robert Kiyosaki, and I can't remember which book it was, but he talks about each one of us has an unfair advantage when it comes to real estate investing. Um, you know, maybe it's you're super analytical. You're really good at being able to crunch the numbers and see if a deal's a deal or make a bad deal, a good deal, or, or perhaps it, it's, you're very personal. You're able to talk with sellers and create those relationships with brokers and investors and what have you. Maybe it's, you're really handy and you can fix stuff up. What, what would you say is something that you and your wife, perhaps if you're working as a team on this, bring to the table, that's kind of your secret sauce or unfair advantage it it's uh, it's been a kind of an evolving thing i think and, and similar to the rest of it it's sort of just starting to really take shape for me now um myself i have the analytical side i've got some operations management type background experience uh business understanding that i can look through a deal see it from now to what i pr project it to look like in the future and understand what makes a good deal try to collect my thoughts in a way that I can communicate that in lay terms to, to a potential investor that makes sense. They don't need to know real estate to understand what I'm telling them. To me, that's been my superpower, if you will, these days. Um, but my wife and I together as a team, I think we're very relatable people. Hmm. I think we're people that um, when we're talking to someone, they can empathize or assimilate with us. And, and that makes it a very easy conversation to have. They're not threatened. We're not threatened. Uh, we can just sit like this and have a conversation about what we're doing. And people are comfortable with that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's for sure. Now, 
you, you've been in the game for, well, at this point, six going on seven years in, in investing in real estate. If you were starting all over again from scratch, knowing what you know now, what, if anything, would you do differently? Would I be starting in the same spot in life or starting today? I'd say you're starting today. Today would be different because I'm in a different position personally than I was in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I've got a pretty pretty decent salary. But at this point, I think if I was going to start with the intent of going into multifamily, I would want to find somebody who's doing what I want to do and let convince them to let me partner with them on a deal, write a check to them, mm-hmm. but also be in on the operations side yeah. of thing. Yeah. That would provide more knowledge and and awareness than you'd learn in three to four years of trying, of trying. So if multifamily was your approach, that would be my suggestion. Otherwise, house hacking is great. You're not going to lose doing it if you, I should say you're not going to lose, but you just do it right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. No, that's really wise advice there, Chris. In fact, that brings to mind a story of a, a client of mine a few years ago, had a little bit of experience doing a few different things like pre-condo development type stuff. And he might've had a rental or two, but he wanted to get into burrs, but really didn't have the faintest clue. So I connected him with another client who was actively doing burrs, but more on a kind of a commercial level. And so that's exactly what he did. He, He joined forces with these guys and he worked for equity instead of a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So he didn't, you know, I, I do agree. You pay to play one way or the other. So you either invest with the people like you're recommending and have that understanding that, hey, I want to be an active investor in this deal, not just a passive investor. In his case, he didn't invest cash, but he invested his time. He was able to, you know, help these guys out with marketing, with sales, with whatever. And he didn't get, he wasn't a 50-50 split by any stretch of the imagination, but he got a tiny little sliver of that first deal. And fast forward, I think it's three or four years later, they're still working together. They're yeah. thick like thieves and they've, they've created a beautiful partnership. So yeah, that's, that's a really good shortcut there. Anything that, uh, that you are struggling with at this point in your real estate investing career, Chris, you're talking a little bit about deal flow. Um, you're talking a little bit about perhaps the the capital side of things, getting that more organized. What, what do you think are your biggest challenges at this point? In time management, right? Yeah, for sure. Business systems and those kind of things all fall into business systems in my mind. Each one is kind of a uh, a portion of what this real estate investment business is. But for me personally, if I'm honest with myself about what the biggest challenge with maybe any one of those segments is, is is my mindset and my approach to it, and um, let's say believing in what could be. Mm-hmm. enough to take the appropriate action and make it so if if that's if that comes across the right way i guess yeah yeah no, so that, mindset mindset is a huge piece i think that's the biggest take up for most of us in everything and anything right that's what's Probably, going on yeah. here is is what makes it or breaks it and one last thing it just out of personal curiosity because i remember this in your application to to be on the show it sounds like you recently started a a real estate investment club or a group or a meetup or something like that. Tell me a little bit about that because that's near and dear to my heart. I started one here in Kamloops, geez, a long time ago, 13, 14 years ago now. What's it been like for you? 
it's been awesome, honestly. Nice. And it came about, so in 2020, when we moved to the acres here, that's really when we sort of started taking real estate more seriously, I guess. Um, considering it as a business rather than we just owned some a couple of houses. When we started that path, we took on a coaching program from a guru, as you've suggested, and mm-hmm. for better or worse, uh, that's another story for another day. But we wanted a meetup. It was the tail end of COVID. Once we finally got through some of that and restrictions were lifting in the province and we wanted to meet up with other people who were doing this. And the only meetup that had existed had been shut down for COVID and hadn't been restarted yet. Yeah, uh, I, so I think st- I spoke at that one a few times. So yeah. I'm, I'm likely, yeah, yeah, likely. Yeah. So we started our own. We thought to heck with it. We'll advertise it wherever we can on our social media platform. Say, hey, we're going to have a get together. Please come out. And so you had this was, at your acreage at your home. Is that where you had it? No, we actually held it just at a pub in town. They've got a, nice. a room that's kind of off to the side of everything. They've got some long tables. It's you can be separate. It's quieter than the rest of the place. Perfect. So and it's free. <laughs> <laughs> that was Bonus. that was key. Yeah, as long as you buy a few beers, have that's a few right. Wally Pops, it, it's good. Yeah, that's right. So it grew. I think we had, you know, four or five people the first time. There's been times where almost no one showed up. And now more recently, we're having about you know, anywhere from 18 to 20, 25 people come out. Very good. That's awesome. So it's, it's been awesome for networking. It's been great for us to get to know people in all different aspects and of life and in real estate. Um, The other meetup has, has resumed. Um, I was invited to their meetup recently and we did it as a uh, sort of a, a means of promoting each other's to let people understand that there's, there's both options and we try not to step on each other's toes with dates and stuff like that. We want to coexist. Little bit different format in each. Ours is at a pub and theirs is at a hotel conference room. So right. pick your flavor. <laughs> I love it. Congratulations to you for that. That is fantastic. Thank so, you. Chris, if people want to connect with you and find out more about you, what should they do? Uh follow us on probably Instagram or Facebook are the most active. Uh it's Everbloom underscore E N T. So Everbloom, like uh E-V-E-R-B-L-O-O-M mm-hmm. uh, underscore E N T. Uh, so either platform, you'll find us there and working on adding that to LinkedIn as well. I've got a personal presence there, but it's more for my, my other life, if you will. So mm-hmm. shifting gears there, but right now, Instagram or Facebook are the best. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Chris. Thank you very much for your insights. And, and I look forward to watching you and your family blossom and bloom in your, in your real estate investing business. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, take care. We'll see you on the next episode.